This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. It is the Subway to Shea podcast, Anthony Rivera, here with you, talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets, episode 78 from the Subway to Shea studio in my office. Well, Mets fans, this weekend is Old Timers Day, and we're taking a break, giving you a bonus episode for episode 78, because we got a special guest, a legendary Met. He will be at Old Timers Day. So let's get right into this interview. And joining me now on the Subway to Shea podcast is a key contributor to the 1969 World Series champion New York Mets, better known that season as the Miracle Mets. He played 12 years in Queens where he batted 281 with 93 home runs and 521 RBIs. He has a new book out, which we will be discussing today called Coming Home, My Amazing Life with the New York Mets. It's the one, the only Cleon Jones. Cleon, how are you doing, sir? Well, we're good. We're good. Everything is lovely. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's uh, such a pleasure having you on. I just finished reading your book, Coming Home, and I really enjoyed it. A lot of great stories and a lot of great insight into your playing time and your life. So let's get right into it. The title, Coming Home, it resonates throughout the entire book. Can you talk about the appropriateness of this title and the emotions you had writing this book? Well, Coming Home, hopefully we're always coming home and even coming home from Baltimore uh, during the World Series or coming home here to Africa Town uh, after winning the World Series, we were always mindful of the fact that the people in the, in my hometown put me uh, in a position to be a major league ball player. And when I say that, I was 13 years of age before I owned my own glove. And by that time, I was an accomplished player. But yeah, I had so many friends and so many uh, people that really cared and looked out for me that I was always coming home trying to share what whatever it was that I accomplished, being in the World Series, playing in the All-Star game, uh, being hooked up with Tommy Agee uh, and Amos Otis. I always wanted to share and give back to my community because they gave me so much. So I, I'm, I'm forever coming home and, and trying to give back. Uh, certainly uh, it's working for me now and it's working for my hometown because we're here doing some really great things here in Africa town. Now, what I like about this book is that your journey comes full circle, and the town you grew up in is a huge part of it. You just talked about Africa Town, north of Mobile, Alabama. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. important was community to you in, you know, shaping your character and the person you've become? Well, it, it certainly it played it played a, a huge role uh, in my development, having a real good players and real good friends in the area. And, and having a grandmother and a great-grandmother that really appreciated the game of baseball and loved Jackie Robinson, and, and they were Brooklyn Dodgers fans at the time, that kind of uh, sold me on the Dodgers. And certainly uh, we all was in awe of what Jackie, 
accomplished. And and certainly uh, I had the pleasure to meet him and talk to him about that. And I don't know how to express myself as it relates to what he accomplished because had he not been a man and, and had the God-given ability to survive all the things that he went through, as a player in the major league, we don't know how long it would have taken for another black player to get a chance to play in the big league. So I, I give Jackie and Branch Ricky and, and Rachel, his wife, because she <laughs> she's the only person that he actually had to come home to each and every night from a ball game and express what had happened and express his feelings and get all of the, the hate and anger out of his system so he could go back the next day and endure the same thing. What he did uh, was just something I couldn't have done. I, I don't know of any anybody that I know could have could have uh, walked that tightrope, and that's what it was to me, a tightrope, because I, I played in the major league, and I played in, in towns that called me all kind of names, and people spit on you and throw things at you and, and do all sorts of things that takes mind off the game and takes your mind off of why you're there because there's so much hate going on. And Jackie endured that and, and – he was all about lean, uh, lean and crutch, so to speak. If you had uh, something as a player, as, as an athlete, whether you're a football player, a, a baseball player, a basketball player, you could always tell yourself, Jackie did it, I can do it. And you, you could endure almost anything. And I admire uh, what Martin Luther King did and, and, and Bill Russell and all the guys, uh, uh, Jesse Orange, Joe Lewis. But there was only one Jackie Robinson and, and one, only one person that really was my leaning post and the person that I, I drew all of my strength from. I'm glad you brought up Jackie Robinson because, you know, racism is, is a major topic in this book. So by the time you made it to the major leagues, did you think you would be dealing with the same issues that Jackie Robinson did after watching him break the color barrier in baseball? Did you think by the time you got to baseball that you would still be dealing with the same issues? Yes. I I, I didn't just think that. I, I, I knew that. I, I came from Alabama, really. And I, I, even though uh, I was kind of sheltered uh, here in Africa town, but I, I knew what kind of world uh, existed out there. And, and I knew uh, there was going to be trials and tribulations that we had to endure. Suddenly, uh, in baseball, uh, like anything else, you got good people and you got bad people. You, you got bad people that love the game of baseball, but hate that you are part of it. Uh, I, you know, we, we, we've ran the gamut, so to speak. We, we, there's a lot of good people in the world. But there's a lot of people does not have a place in the world, mm -hmm. and they don't want you to have a place in the world. And and that exists today. It existed with Jackie. I've seen it throughout my career, and it's going to be here because that's good and that's bad. And we we just hope uh, that the good just uh, outnumber what it is out there that's bad. Once again, I'm here with Cleon Jones, member of the 1969 World Champions and author of the new book, Coming Home, My Amazing Life with the New York Mets. Cleon, let's talk about your time with the Mets. You signed with them in 1962. You had a couple cups of coffee with the team until you became a permanent fixture of the roster in 1966. At that time, the team was at the height of its losing ways, known as the lovable losers. You know, then Gil Hodges takes over as manager, and everything changes. What did Gil Hodges mean to you and to the Mets as an organization? Well, uh, put it bluntly, uh, no Gil Hodges, no 69 Mets. <laughs> but a lot of things happened before that. Uh, Crane Pool uh, was a good sign in the 60, in 62. I signed in 62. And then uh, things started to happen, 65, 66, 66. We got Tom Seaver, and then we get uh, 
see what Kuzman Ryan and and we we saw to get uh, well, but Bud Harrison was there early on too. Uh, we we could see uh, that we were building you know a good team. But when Gil came along, Gil came along at, at the right time because teams are built from the t- from the top down. That means the front office, uh, the manager, management, coaches, all of that. And Johnny Murphy and Gil put their heads together, and they they what they did they they molded the team uh, in in not necessarily Gil limit, but uh, a team that he could that he could handle uh, because we had. Uh, all of those great arms uh, as pitching. And what we needed to do was put great defense around them and with, with A.G. and Harrison and Grody up to Miller. That, that was no better defense in, 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 uh, in baseball. So we were platoon team. Uh, everybody uh, uh, on the ball club knew that they had a responsibility. But the only four guys on the ball club that came to the, to, to the stadium each and every day knew they was going to be in the lineup was Bud Harrison, Jerry Grode, Tommy Agee, and myself. Everybody else had to look at the lineup to see whether or not they were playing. But he motivated all of these guys and, and tutored them uh, where they would be ready when they were called on. And they responded. Everybody on that ball club con- contributed to winning uh, games throughout the season. Uh, it, it wasn't a one-man show. It wasn't a, it wasn't a Tom Seaver show. It wasn't a Kuzma show. It was a team effort because he made it a team effort, uh, and it took a while to do that. So if, you, if you're talking about the 1969 Mets, you're talking, you're talking about it because of Johnny Murphy and Gil Hodges. Well, in 1969, everything finally came together, culminating in the Mets winning the world champion, like you mentioned. The most iconic scene and moment is you making the catch for the final out. Take us through what is going through your mind at that point as that ball's heading your way. Well, when you go out, hopefully you're going out, it's the last inning, and you're going to be world champion. So you go out there with that in your mind. But you, you, you never, I, I never went to left field thinking that I was going to catch the final out. That never entered my mind. But then when we got, we got two outs and David Johnson was a hitter, uh, I, what I wanted to see was a ground ball to Bud Harrison. Uh, <laughs> and a throw over to first base to end the game. That's what I w- really wanted to see. But when uh, Johnson hit hit this fly ball, and he, he tells me that it's the hardest ball he, he hit throughout his career, and I maintain the fact that it was just a weak fly ball because when the ball went up, Kuzma said he thought it was a home run, and Johnson said, again, it's the hardest ball I, he, he's ever hit. But I took two steps back and realized that the ball was in front of me, and, 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 and took a step up and got in position to catch the ball and said, come on down, come on down, baby, come on down, baby, it's all over. And Neil, and it was all over. But that's my claim to fame now is uh, having caught the last out in the 1969 World Series. Thank God. <laughs> and after winning the whole thing, you know, the mindset is always on, you know, repeating creating a mm-hmm. dynasty, which you kind of mentioned in that book, but you know that doesn't happen. Odd trades were made throughout the following years, and then Gil Hodges unexpectedly passes away, a huge loss for the organization. Was that really like the turning point for the team, losing well, Gil? Had he, yeah, had, had, had he lived, I'm sure we would have won more pennants and probably one or two more more series because we, we, uh, uh, we had all the arms. We had the pitching and we had the defense. Uh, we, we, we didn't have great offense. But we had enough to score, and and we did all the little things. Uh, we hit and run, we bunted, 
we, you know, put on squeeze play. We, you know, we, we hit behind the runner. We had fly balls to school men from third base. We did all the little things. And he preached all year that if we don't beat ourselves, it's going to be tough for the other guys to beat us. And, and that proved to be a, a fact. Certainly, we were, we were good defensively because we didn't make mistakes. And it's because of, of Gail Hodges. He always reminded us that, that uh, if you want every ball, uh, you're not going to get every ball, but you're going to be ready for everyone that's hit to you. So uh, that's a mindset that we took to the field every day. Uh, every ball is going to be hit to Cleon Jones in left field. If, if I'm looking for every ball, then I'm going to be ready. Uh, whether it comes to me or not, uh, I, I'm ready to complete that inning. And that's what you do for nine innings. And that's the kind of team we were because we, we were well coached. And, and with, with Rube Walker and uh, Joe Pigmatana and Eddie Yotes, uh, they, were, they, were, they were great coaches. Yogi Berra, you know, they, they, they completed uh, the staff. And, and it, it was fun playing uh, with these coaches and, and with the players. It, it was fun going to the ballpark. So Gil Hodges is the reason for that. It's always great to have Tom Seaver and, and Jerry Kuzman, you know, picking up the ball. Gentry had a great year, and, and you know, that's one or two other guys that had a great year. And uh, Nolan Ryan turned out to be a Hall of Famer, which mm-hmm. uh, he, he, he had uh, the best arm uh, strength than, than any of us, but there was no better pitcher than Tom Seaver at the time. Now, I read Tom Seaver's book by uh, writer Bill Madden not too long ago, and they talked about the mistake of bringing in Yogi Berra as manager and not going with Whitey Herzog, and you kind of talk about that a little bit in your book as well. What was it about Herzog that would have made him the right fit in replacing you know, Gil and, and not hiring Yogi, and do you think that the Mets would have been a totally different team in the 70s? Certainly, that's, all, that, that's what we wanted. We wanted Whitey. Because we we all we grew up with Whitey. Whitey was in the farm system, uh, in the organization. Whitey is the one that uh, worked with us in the outfield and hit fly balls and hit ground balls and talked baseball. And we thought he was the man for the job. I, I you know nobody knew Whitey I guess as a manager, but all of us knew him in the organization and knew he 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 was a great uh, baseball man. Maybe not a Gail Hodges, but because Gill was just skilled in every area of the game. He, he you know, he was good with, with position players. He was good with pitchers. He was good with uh, everyday players. And and Whitey, to me, kind of fit that same mold. But Whitey was a fun guy. Gill was a serious guy. That, that's the difference, <laughs> that's the difference in the two. Uh, but I was sad that he didn't get it. And, and, and uh, it's not a knock on Yogi. Yogi was a good baseball man, but Yogi didn't have the skills that Gale and uh, Whitey Herzog had as a manager. Now, 1973, you get one more crack at the World Series. It's the you-gotta-believe year. It's also the final year of Willie Mays' career, and he's with you in Mets uniform after being traded over in 1972. What was it like in the clubhouse being around the legendary uh, Willie Mays? Oh, man, it was awesome. I, I uh, when, when, when that deal was made, uh, I, I and my locker was right next to Willie. So it was fun for me coming to, <laughs> to the ballpark every day, you know, uh, sitting beside, most of the time I was sitting right in his locker, talking to him and, 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 and uh, you know, getting to know him better. Well, I, I knew him as a great, well, the greatest player that I witnessed, uh, uh, you know, as a player. And, and then to have that guy, uh, your locker mate, and, and 
be able to go on the same field with him each and every day. I I, I was just thrilled to death. And but you know he was in his forties and he had a, he he had a bad knee. He was still a willy that that we all knew, but he was having problems with swelling in in his knees. And when his knees was all right, you saw the same Willie Mays you saw 10 years ago. But then he would try to go out and play uh, with his knees all swollen and whatnot. And I, I didn't like that, but I, I didn't say anything. But but uh, And then that's, that's when people started talking about, well, uh, he's too old. He uh, He's played too long. And he was still the best player on the team, <laughs> even at, the, uh, uh, at 42. But again, uh, it was still for me. But that year, I, I thought we should have won the World Series because Oakland, on paper, seemed to be a better team. But uh, it, it was just one one play or two that made the difference in our our losing, our winning. And and I don't want to go calling names and, and and putting people in situation or even talking about what should have happened and, and and didn't happen. But uh, I talk a little bit about it in the book, and and certainly. Uh, uh, that's the way I, I saw it, but uh, we, we should have we won. And we would have won had Yogi, in my opinion, pitched George Stone in the sixth ball game. And then if you, you got Siva full strength, then you got Madlack, and you got McGraw or whoever. If you can't win with, with, with those three guys, you don't need to win. So the good news would have been that Siva uh, would have had uh, another day's rest. And... and uh, I thought that's the move that should have been made, and I, I thought with a good manager and, and, and a person didn't have fear of the press of what would be said uh, had he done that, uh, would have you know would have made that adjustment. And, but Yogi chose not to, and we all know what happened. The book is Coming Home: My Amazing Life with the New York Mets. The author is 1969 World Champion Cleon Jones. He's here with us discussing his new book which you can get wherever books are sold. I'll be putting the link in the description of this podcast. It's a must-read and a must-have book for your collection. Cleon, you were way ahead of your time in terms of hitting and studying the game. You talk about always watching film. Even when you were retired and you became an instructor, always looking over film. I have to ask, what do you think of the evolution of the game and where it is today, especially now that there's so many, you know, there's so many statistics that they're going off of. What is your impressions of the game now? Oh, well, it's kind of a hard game for me to watch for nine innings because you see the same thing for nine innings. In, in the 50s, 60s, and even the 70s, uh, small ball, and there was a lot more action and, and a lot more thrills that you got out of the game or that you put into the game that, that, that made it, you know, a lively game. Now everybody goes up there and everybody's swinging for the fences. Nobody can put down a bunt. Nobody hits, hit, hit and run. There's a few guys can steal bases. But to me, it, it, it's not a skilled game anymore. It, it, it's the, the guys with the big bat going for the fences. So you, you hear commentators saying that uh, the guys throwing 90, 98, 99, 100, and, and these guys swinging through the pitches with men on base and uh, never try to move the runner. Never, not never try to uh, hit behind the runner to move him, move him up. Uh, none of those things happen. So I, you know, it, it's 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 a hard game to watch. There there are some skilled players there that can do all of these things. But management and when you, the DH uh, is the reason for a lot of those things. But the, the DH put another pretty good hit in, in the lineup. So how can you talk about that? So yeah, uh, uh, I I enjoy the game. It's a good game. Uh, but but I like uh, all phases of the game. 
And I, I think uh, during the course of the game, you ought to see a little bit of everything that the game has to offer. And certainly we're not seeing that right now. Now, I don't know how much you've kept up with the Mets and what they're doing this year, but reading your book and the whole 1969 run, the vibes feel eerily similar in, you know, talking in the terms of the manager, the contributions from everyone on the team, uh, fighting through adversity. This Met team, I feel like, uh, does play uh somewhat of of the small ball they they don't hit as many home runs but they you know they they're doing a lot of different things to score runs and they've they've won a lot of games uh this is the second best start in, in their in the franchise's history are you connected at all with this team and if so what are your thoughts on them so far i, I do and, and i see some sim- similarity <laughs> well i see a lot of similarity when you got the kind of pitching staff that they have and all they got to do if they stay healthy they they'll win uh, they they got enough hitting and 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 the defense to me is it, good enough. There's no more growth behind home plate, but I, I think they're similar because they platoon a lot and and they got guys in and out of the lineup that that does a good 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 job like the '69 men. So I see some similarity, especially when you got the great starters that they have. Hopefully uh, that can keep them out of slump. I see they've lost two straight to the Braves, but if they can win. Tonight, and I just win a ball game there. They'll be all right. Uh, I'll be surprised if we don't see them in the World Series. I hope you're you're right, Clan. I really do. I really would like to see that this season. Now, I talked in the beginning about your journey coming full circle within your community. So we're going to come full circle here right now and wrap up talking about your community. How are the continuing efforts to revitalize and rejuvenate the town going? Well, certainly, uh, uh, when I came up in uh, in Africa Town. Uh, it was a town of probably 14,000 people. Right now, we're down to 2,000. So my, my, my charge is to bring people back to the community that, that wants to come back. But, you know, by building homes and refurbishing homes and suddenly uh, uh, sprucing up the properties that, that are here and enticing people to move back. Uh, and there's a lot of people that... Uh, that went north, uh, they, they're ready to come back home. We, we just need a place for them to come back and property for them to build. So that that helps our school, that helps our churches, and it builds uh, our community back to some respectability. Some of these things are taking place. My foundation, uh, is, I think, is doing a pretty good job in putting on uh, roofs and refurbishing houses, doing cosmetics on on floors and windows and doors and those kind of things and uh so hopefully in the next uh, month or so uh we're going to start the bill and that hopefully that that'll revitalize the community and grow the community and have the community fit the history the history uh is uh one that that uh all of america should learn about and appreciate uh and if you do that you're going to want to come to africa town and, and appreciate the people well, you're doing great work, so I really uh, uh, enjoyed this book and, and enjoyed hearing the whole story and, and what you've done uh, for Africatown. It's a great story. It's a great book. Before I let you go, is there anything that you would like to add on? No, I'd I just like to say to, to uh, all, the, all the fans out there, uh, read the book. Uh, I think you enjoy it. I think it, 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 it'll bring a lot of things to, to light that you've probably been thinking about for the last 30, 40 years. We tried to, to tackle all of the situation that was foggy. We, we tried to clear all those things up. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a choir boy, 
<laughs> but I'm a serious person, and uh, I'm a serious family man, and I'm a serious met, and that would be forever. And uh, all of these things took place as the New York Met, and we're going to try to keep on pushing forward. But read the book, and uh, I think it'll be a great read for those of you who take the time to sit down and read it, and uh, give you know, give us a holler, write us a note, and say you enjoyed it. We appreciate you. Thank you. Well, Cleon, I can't thank you enough for this opportunity to have this conversation. I wish you well and uh, welcome you back to my podcast anytime. Thanks again, and you take care. Certainly. Thank you, and good talking with you. That was Cleon Jones, member of the 1969 World Champions and author of the new book, Coming Home, My Amazing Life with the New York Mets. Pick up a copy of this book, which you can get wherever Ever books are sold. I will be putting a link in the description. It's a must read and a must have book for your Mets collectors out there. Now, wrapping up this show, you can follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Subway to Shea. Listen to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms I just mentioned. Also, make sure to share this with your fellow Met fans. Let them know this is the Mets podcast to listen to. If you've been a supporter this whole time, I can't thank you enough, and this show wouldn't be where it is without you and because of you. Subway to Shea is global. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also has reaches across the globe. So no matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think. What you like, what you don't like. I want to make Subway to Shea better each and every single week. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, and leaving me comments in the review section, it could help me to make this show what it needs to be each and every week. You can also rate the show on Spotify, which is another option. And don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan sided network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or check out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the Fan Sided Network at Fan Sided. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. I appreciate you all so very much, and that will do it for this week's podcast. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets!